Friends, as we come to the heart of worship, knowing that it really is all about you, Lord. It's all about God. Hear these words that Paul wrote to the Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Brothers, we're going to make a brief journey into the Old Testament today. Our scripture lesson comes from 2 Samuel 24, verses 18 through 25. And I invite you to hear the word of the Lord. That day, Gad came to David and said to him, Go up and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aronah, the Jebusite. Following Gad's instructions, David went up as the Lord had commanded. When Aronah looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming toward him. And Aronah went out and prostrated himself before the king with his face to the ground. Aronah said, Why has the Lord the king come to his servant? David said, To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord so that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Aronah said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering, and the threshing sledges, and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All of this, O king, Aronah gives to the king. And Aronah said to the king, May the Lord your God respond favorably to you. But the king said to Aronah, No, but I will buy them from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David built an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and offerings of well-being. So the Lord answered his supplication for the land, and the plague was averted from Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. O Lord, we ask now that this long-ago text be made alive and the word proclaimed and that you would touch and convict our hearts today, that you would grow us in faith and confidence in your steadfast love and the hope assured that we have in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, it is a happy Father's Day, and I thought it probably would be appropriate to begin by telling you some things like dad jokes, right? You all know dad jokes. You hear about the restaurant on the moon, great food, no atmosphere. <laughs> How many apples grow on a tree? All of them. And last night, Jen and I watched three movies back to back. And fortunately for me, I was the one facing the television. You're welcome. <laughs> I was going to tell those, um, but then I was reminded this morning of this third verse 
of the hymn that we know, the song we know well, this is my father's world. This is my father's world, oh let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world, the battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be won. Friends, that's the truth. And that's the Father's Day message worthy of remembering. Our scripture text today is the next in a series of what we're looking at, why we do the things we do in worship. If you recall the last time, we talked about the call to worship, which is something that's often overlooked. This week, we're covering the one thing about which even non-believers have an opinion. I mean, most people who come to worship for the first time dread the very movement we just did. That is, when the ushers come forward and the plates are passed. I mean, how much are we supposed to put in? Is it like a restaurant where you grade the service or that you're tipping the preacher? I mean, why do we do that? Why do we have to do that? Well, of course, the human answer is to, to go to the thing, you know, the money goes to the things that money needs to be spent. We pay the staff, we support the mission and the program, we keep up the building and the other things. And although those things are important aspects, and they really are, they don't answer the more foundational question, why do we give? And let me preface my comments with two things here. First, the report of the people of this congregation, our experience thus far, and the histories that have been written about all of you, talk about how generous you have been. I mean, one look at this sanctuary gives testimony to how generous you have been. And the second thing is, I do not know, I will not know, now or ever, what you are giving individually. And so, if this message convicts you today, you can thank the Holy Spirit. Okay? So why do we pass the plates? Why do we take an offering? And in my experience, that's how people describe it. We take an offering. Which I think in large part is why there is confusion in understanding what this is all about. If we take an offering, the immediate reaction is it puts us on the defensive, like, all right, we've got to guard what we have to prevent it from being taken, right? But in our order of service, what Nina gave you today was an invitation to give, an invitation to make an offering. And what's the difference? The difference is the attitude of the heart. When we make an offering, there are a number of things that are happening at the same time. First, we're participating in an act of worship. That's remembering that we've gathered to worship and serve God, and not the other way around. Second, God is blessing us with an opportunity to express gratitude. Third, we're making a witness of faith as a community. 
And finally, we're participating in building up the body of Christ. And I just want to touch on each one of these briefly this morning. The first thing is we make an offering to the sovereign God as an act of worship. The reality is that every part of the worship service is an offering to God. If it blesses you and you go away inspired and encouraged, well, praise God. That's great. But that said, the point of worship is for God's people to come and make an offering before the Lord. We remember, we sing, we confess, we gather together all for the purpose of presenting ourselves before God, the God who created everything, the God who is more powerful than any military, any economy, any fame, any popularity, or any other power that we know. He is God, and he has called us together to be his people. Now, among the reasons why I'm Presbyterian is because of this emphasis on the sovereignty of God. That is, we take seriously the covenant relationship into which we have been called by God. We are bound to God. He is Lord, and we are the beneficiaries of His blessings. And that distinctive is more than just semantics, and it's more than just a theological spin. The sovereignty of God is something that frames every bit of who I am and what we do in worship, including the understanding that our worship service is our making an offering to God. And so frankly, this is the reason why you're not going to get a sermon series on 10 Bible tips to manage your money <laughs> or five faith hacks to handle stress at work or how Jesus makes your life better. If you are the focus of the service, then God takes a back seat. Coming to worship is not about you. It's about God. And God knows our hearts. He knows your heart and he knows my heart. And he's not interested in a show. God has commanded us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength because that's how we were created. And the instruction to return to the Lord the first tenth of what we received not a remainder after all other expenses have been covered, is an instruction to remember first our covenant relationship with the Lord. God doesn't need our money. I mean, all of creation is the Lord's. Thus, it belongs to him anyway. Our offering in obedience is an act of worship that reminds us that God is God. If we don't trust God to provide all that we need, then we get busy taking on the responsibilities of being our own God. And you want to know stress. We get anxious because we know we're not able. Now, we have friends who are really amused when their first child's words seem to be, I do it myself. <laughs> right? Ignorance is amusing in a toddler. It gets less amusing the older we are. 
And it's important that we remember that God is sovereign over everyone and everything. All that we have and all that we are belongs to God. So we give because God is sovereign and he's commanded us to give. Second, we give out of personal gratitude. It's an expression of personal gratitude. And this is where we get to our sermon text in 2 Samuel. These verses come at the end of a long section of scripture detailing the events of David's life. David, who's the man after God's own heart. David has gone from being the runt of his family to the anointed king. He's gone from being persecuted servant to warrior king. And at this point, he's gone from being a young man to an old man. Now, David was flush with the success that the Lord had given him. And in an act of hubris, he orders his military to conduct a census. He wanted to count all the people so he could really um, evaluate and assess his power. Well, as soon as it was complete, he regretted that he had done this thing because he knew that it was displeasing to God. You see, David remembered Moses' warning to the people in Deuteronomy chapter 8. As the people were getting to enter the promised land, Moses had told the people then, take care that you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commandments, his ordinances, and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. When you've eaten your fill and have built fine houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks have multiplied and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then do not exalt yourself, forgetting the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, an arid wasteland with poisonous snakes and scorpions. He made water flow for you from Flint Rock and fed you in the wilderness with manna that your ancestors didn't know, to humble you and to test you, and in the end, to do you good. Don't say to yourself, my power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth so that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to his ancestors as he is doing today. If you do forget the Lord your God and follow other gods to serve and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord is destroying before you, so you shall perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Well, when David remembered the Lord. He regretted what he had done. The Lord sent the prophet Gad to engage David about his sin, and he offered three options. Three years of famine, flight from his enemies for three years, or three days of pestilence. And David opted for the last, figuring, well, let's fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great. Well, the pestilence ensued. From north to the south of the holdings given to David, 70,000 people died. Now, there's a lesson here about a nation suffering the consequence of the hubris of its leaders, but that's for another day. 
As the pestilence was concluding, David saw the angel of the Lord by the threshing floor of Aronah the Jebusite. So Gad returned, the prophet Gad returned to David, told him to erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor. Aronah saw the king coming, prostrated himself, and offered to give the king everything he needed to make that burnt offering. And that's where we get the, to the line that I want you to see. The king said to Aronah, No, but I'll buy them from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. David realized that he needed to be invested in what he offered. That is, it needed to be his in order to offer it. There was a famous Seinfeld episode years ago in which Jerry received a label maker as a thank you gift for Super Bowl tickets that he couldn't use. Turned out that the label maker had been given to the person who gave it to Jerry as a gift. And the term re-gifted came into our lexicon. Well, when it was discovered, both Elaine, the original giver, and Jerry, the second recipient, felt cheated because the gift meant nothing to the person who had passed it along. David didn't want to be a re-gifter, right? It mattered that whatever he offered to God be personal because it is the thought that counts. We see the same thing in Luke 21, verses 1 through 4, where Jesus saw a poor widow put two coins into the treasury. And Jesus drew a comparison between the rich who gave out of their abundance, paying respect to God, and the poor widow who gave, knowing her entire survival was dependent upon God. By the way, Jesus wasn't being critical of those who gave. Rather, he's making the point of the purity of the poor widow's heart in offering. Theirs was good. Hers was better. See, making an offering is about personally blessing the name of the Lord. It's an expression of gratitude for what God has already done. Let me go back to the poor widow for a moment. Jesus observed what happened and made a comment about the purity of her offering as an act of worship. She wasn't commended because she was poor. There's no virtue in simply being poor. She was thanking God for being God. She was commended because she put her faith, her trust, and her hope in God alone. So for what are you grateful? As you look at your own life, can you think of any circumstances in which you experience genuine gratitude, genuine thankfulness? When I was a young child, I got really sick. My parents took me to doctors who ran tests and tests, and they couldn't figure out what was wrong. And I started running spiking fevers. And one of my earliest memories, and it's really vivid, I was about three or four at the time, is being lifted out of an ice machine in the hallway of Children's Hospital in Philadelphia. I remember the nurse's uniform, and I can hear her voice saying, I know this is tough, but we have to get that temperature down. And the other memory I have from that time, same time, same hospitalization, was 
my childhood church pastor, Dr. Young, he came and he sat in the hospital room with me. And he sat and he read the little engine that could. <laughs> right? Yellow cover, white binding, we still have it, right? And it was probably only a half hour, a half hour or so, but it made a world of difference to me because I was scared and I was feeling all alone. But as he sat with me, I had the impression that God was saying, I am here. I am with you. You will never be alone. And at that age, I couldn't put words to it, but that was definitely the feeling. Well, years later, after I entered ministry, I went back to Westchester, uh, where we grew up, for a visit. And Dr. Young and I met at a diner, and I shared with him my thanks for that time. I was able to articulate what it meant, and I was able to say, thank you. And the irony, and in fact, really, the point for today is that he gave me another gift by allowing me to say thank you. Making an offering in worship is the same thing. It's an opportunity for us to personally say thank you to the one who gave us a gift beyond price, beyond measure. I mean, we have been delivered from death to life, from slavery to sin to our adoption as co-heirs with Christ in the kingdom of heaven. Making an offering is a gift to me, to us, by allowing us to say thank you. So we give an offering because God has commanded an offering. We give an offering because God has blessed us with the chance to say thank you. And third, we give an offering as a testimony of our being drawn together as God's people. Everyone, everyone is able to participate in offering. Like singing, it's something that marks us being part of something larger than ourselves. It marks us as having, having been drawn together as God's people. And drawing us together as a people is evidence of the ongoing work of God, the living God. I traveled to the Philippines a couple years ago. I was part of a team that was leading a retreat for the staff of Compassion International in Manila. And we were also helping out with a medical team, and we were visiting some of the sites where sponsored children were learning about Jesus. And in Palawan, we were part of the congregation on Sunday morning. And at the time of the offering, someone got up, just kind of like Nina did, and she, he gave the invitation in Tagalog, the language, so I didn't understand it. So I'm looking around for the ushers to come forward when all of a sudden people started running I mean, literally running down the aisles to the front. And there's joy in their hearts as they're putting the money in the plates on the chancel area. And they were coming back from the chancel rejoicing, rejoicing. No ushers were needed because the congregation celebrated the opportunity to give. They went forward joyfully. Well, last week, Nate used the illustration of the congregation as an, as an orchestra. Every instrument contributes to make the full richness of the music that the composer has written, and missing even one diminishes the whole. It's why it's important everyone participate. 
I mean, friends, maintaining this building, the sanctuary, and the campus, that's not God's purpose for this congregation. Proclaiming the gospel, bearing witness to God's grace in and to this community, that is our purpose. The offering is part of that proclamation. It's part of the witness of what we believe. We're giving to the one from whom we have received our salvation. So we make an offering as a witness of this congregation that God is alive and at work in Carson. And finally, we make an offering money as a tangible exercise of participating in the building up of the body of Christ. And this is what Nina was talking about. The Apostle Paul made it clear that Christians are bound together spiritually and materially. In Romans 15, he writes, At presence, however, I'm going to Jerusalem in, in a ministry to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to share their resources with the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. They were pleased to do this, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material things. So when I've completed this and have delivered to them what's been collected... I'll set out by way of you to Spain. And I know that when I come to you, I'll come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. In other words, start collecting now. All right? Friends, no matter how we look at it, we are among the most material, materially affluent Christians in the world. Most of us sitting in these pews do not wonder where we will sleep tonight. Most of us don't wonder if we're going to have anything to eat. Most of us aren't wondering if we're going to have clothes to wear or whether we'll have shoes on our feet. There are brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who cannot say the same. Paul was instructing the Roman church to be prepared to support the body of Christ tangibly and financially. The places he described, Macedonia and Achaia, they weren't the top 1% of the world as we are. And yet they were convicted and convinced to give generously to relieve the material suffering of brothers and sisters in Christ. So I'd like to think that Paul would have used this congregation as a positive example to others. I mean, more than 12% of the budget here goes to support missions locally, nationally, and internationally. And the point is that the heart of this congregation is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength by tangibly loving our neighbors as ourselves. In the offering, we take seriously the call to share our material blessings with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we invite an offering as a way of remembering the sovereignty and command of God. We make an offering to be thankful to God. It's a way of saying thank you. We invite an offering and make an offering as a witness of the congregation to the ongoing faithfulness of the living God. And we make an offering so that we are actively participating in the building up of the body of Christ in this community and joining with others to help build up the body of Christ in this nation and around the world. So that's why, that's why, we make an offering as a part of our worship. Amen.
Friends, I was at a Presbyterian meeting yesterday, and our brothers and sisters in Christ um, send their greetings. But at the, at the event, Andrea Messenger said, the witnesses we have in Scripture have had their opportunity. I mean, we have the blessing of their words and their encouragement inspired by God, but their time is done. Our time is now. So as we go forward from this place, go forward making yourself an offering, pleasing in the sight of God, that others might come to know his grace, his love, and salvation. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance and give you peace now and always. Amen.